Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the scriptures. Yeah, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for July 12th through 18th, 2021. This is covering Doctrine and Covenants, sections 77 through 80. And now let's bring out the star of the show, the scriptures. All right, scriptures. Let's get going. And now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 16 minutes, 5 seconds. And how long will that be daily? 2 minutes, 18 seconds. Interesting. Right here we've got time codes if you want to jump section by section or just hang on and we'll go through them all together. Now before we start, I wanted to make a quick note Some of you may know that there is a movie that's been released recently called Witnesses, and it's about the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon. I saw this recently, and I was really pleased with the sincerity and the reality of the stories. And I think it would be a nice movie to see to give you a nice, round, holistic picture of early church history. Definitely endorse it. Fantastic. We don't have it out here in Wisconsin, so I'll just have to wait. So let's get into Doctrine and Covenants, Section 77. This is a favorite section of mine. I really love it. Before we start, ask yourself this question. Have you ever wanted to sit down with the Lord and ask questions about scriptures you don't understand? That would be amazing. Well, we have an opportunity here. Yes, indeed. The seminary manual has an introduction. It says this, In February and March 1832, Joseph Smith continued his inspired revision of the New Testament. As he began working on the book of Revelation, he wondered about the meaning of some of the verses. He asked the Lord to interpret some of the symbols and events John the Revelator described. In response to Joseph Smith's questions about chapter 1 through 11 of the book of Revelation, the Lord gave the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 77. Now, when you take a look at the section, you'll notice the letters Q and A within the verses of the Revelation. That's a question that's being asked, and then the Lord fills in the answer. How cool is that? That's amazing. The Institute Manual gives a really good quote from the Prophet Joseph Smith. This comes from the History of the Church, where he talks about the book of Revelation. He says, quote, John had the curtains of heaven withdrawn, and by vision looked through the dark vista of future ages and contemplated events that should transpire throughout every subsequent period of time until the final winding-up scene. And while he gazed upon the glories of the eternal world, saw an innumerable company of angels and heard the voice of God. End quote. Beautiful. Now, Stephen C. Harper, in his Book of Mormon Central Commentary, says section 77 is a key to unlocking the meaning of Revelation chapters 4 through 11. It models the right way to approach that famously complicated book. Joseph Smith studied the book carefully, formulated questions for the Lord, then sought and received the Lord's answers to his specific questions. So let's take a look at what readers were up against as they tried to understand the symbolism of the book of Revelation. Let's read a sample here from chapter 4. This is verses 2 through 8. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, 
and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, and thunderings, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Well, that seems fairly straightforward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How would you visualize that? How would you try to explain that? If you look at all of the symbols that are being used in there, what questions would you want answered if you could have a Q&A with the Lord? So let's start with the sea of glass mentioned in verse 6. Wouldn't you want to know what that is or what that means? Yeah. And let's start in section 77, verse 1. Question. What is the sea of glass spoken of by John, 4th chapter and 6th verse of the Revelation? Answer. It is the earth in its sanctified, immortal, and eternal state. Interesting. Well, there you go. So, there's the question, there's the answer. And this corresponds very well with a later revelation, Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, verse 9. This earth, in its sanctified and immortal state, will be made like unto crystal, and will be a urim and thummim to the inhabitants who dwell thereon, whereby all things pertaining to an inferior kingdom, or all kingdoms of a lower order, will be made manifest to those who dwell on it, and this earth will be Christ's. Wow. So does that help being able to receive revelation from the Lord to discover what he meant in his revelations? So keep asking along with Joseph and see what else we can learn. Let's take a look in verse 2. You can see it begins with a question. So here's the question. What are we to understand by the four beasts spoken of in the same verse? And here's the answer. They are figurative expressions used by the revelator John in describing heaven, the paradise of God, the happiness of man, and of beasts, and of creeping things, and of the fowls of the air, that which is spiritual being in the likeness of that which is temporal, and that which is temporal in the likeness of that which is spiritual, the spirit of man in the likeness of his person, as also the spirit of the beast and every other creature which God has created. Next question. In verse 3, are the four beasts limited to individual beasts, or do they represent classes or orders? And here's the answer. They are limited to four individual beasts, which were shown to John, to represent the glory of the classes of beings in their destined order, or sphere of creation, 
in the enjoyment of their eternal felicity. Nice. Next question. Verse 4. What are we to understand by the eyes and wings which the beasts had? Answer. Their eyes are a representation of light and knowledge. That is, they are full of knowledge, and their wings are a representation of power to move, to act, etc. By the way, I really love that answer because that imagery is used in other places like Isaiah, and it's a helpful insight into how those symbols might be used. Very true. Next question, verse 5. What are we to understand by the four and twenty elders spoken of by John? Answer. We are to understand that these elders whom John saw were elders who had been faithful in the work of the ministry and were dead, who belonged to the seven churches and were then in the paradise of God. Now, in the seven churches, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, it begins by addressing seven church congregations in that area. So that's what he's referring to. The Lord reveals the correct interpretation of Scripture through his prophets. And this is one of these opportunities where we can see it unfold and see it happening. It's tremendously exciting. Yes, it is. From the seminary manual, we have a quote from Elder Bruce R. McConkie from October 1964 General Conference. He says, quote, Prophets gave the scripture, and prophets must interpret it. Holy men of old received revelation from the Holy Ghost, which they recorded as scripture. Now men must have the same Holy Spirit to reveal what is meant by the scripture. Otherwise, there will be a host of private interpretations and consequently many different and disagreeing churches, which is precisely the condition in the religious world today." End quote. So important to have a prophet. I'm glad he clarified that because I was sure that we weren't having that problem today. <laughs> actually, we're rampantly having that problem today. And think about the problem it causes when you have access to the voice of the Lord's prophet and don't listen. Think about the confusion that that causes within those who claim to be members of his church. I was going to say that the problem that Elder McConkie is referring to is not exclusive to those outside of the church. Right. This is happening within the church as well. Yep. And something that we need to bear in mind. That's one of the reasons that Jay and I stick so closely to the words of the brethren and published manuals from the church to talk about the interpretation of Scripture. Well, and let's talk about that for a moment. Let's just take a minute to review some of the other tools that the church gives us to better understand Scriptures. Because if prophets have spoken to interpret Scripture or to give us understanding, and we don't know where to look for that information— well, that's sad, for one, and it doesn't have to be. So we talk a lot about the resources that we use, but let's just quickly review. First of all, your footnotes. They've been in our scriptures for a long time. Some of them are very helpful. Some of them maybe not so much, but especially if you're using your digital resources, it's only a tap to find out what's in the footnotes. So don't forget to check those out. Section headings or chapter headings. And as we're studying Doctrine and Covenants this year, don't forget that little button right in the upper right, the little image icon, which at the beginning of every section will take you to Revelations in Context. That is such a great resource to understand more deeply what was going on that prompted the Revelation. Now from there, your Gospel Library app is filled with manuals of all kinds, 
we really recommend the Institute student manuals. Those are set up to be essentially a textbook resource of quotes and insights and scholarship on the various revelations. And the seminary manuals. Don't forget those. Yeah, we've got tons of resources and our Come Follow Me manual, Mm -hmm. which not only has resources in it, but links to other resources. So as a cherry on top, go to the topics section in your Gospel Library app. For church history, we've got the church history topics in there. You've got the gospel principles book in there. You can look up things in the topics section if you have specific questions on various topics. So let's use that as a starting point. And the nice part about the topic section is that you'll have a summary of the topic, but then links to scriptures, links to conference talks, and other manuals and resources. So it's a great collective place to find information on these various topics. So there's no reason that we shouldn't have a good starting point to try to discover what the scriptures are talking about. So many great resources. And with that, let's go back to the Revelation. So we just finished the reading on Revelation chapter 4. Let's move on to Revelation 5. If you were reading Revelation 5 verse 1, you would read, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Intriguing. Now notice that the footnotes of that verse take you right to Doctrine and Covenants, section 77, verse 6, for help. Very helpful footnotes. Yes, it is. And let's take a look at that. In verse 6. Question, what are we to understand by the book which John saw, which was sealed on the back with seven seals? Answer. We are to understand that it contains the revealed will, mysteries, and the works of God, the hidden things of this economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence. And verse 7, question, what are we to understand by the seven seals with which it was sealed? Answer, we are to understand that the first seal contains the things of the first thousand years, and the second also of the second thousand years, and so on until the seventh. Now, admittedly, some of the Lord's answers leave room for additional questions. For sure. And perhaps that gives us guidance as we seek knowledge from him individually. Remember, Here's a quote from the prophet Joseph Smith that I found in the 2001 Institute Manual. This comes from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. He says, quote, I make this broad declaration that whenever God gives a vision of an image or beast or figure of any kind, he always holds himself responsible to give a revelation or interpretation of the meaning thereof. Otherwise, we are not responsible or accountable for our belief in it. Don't be afraid of being damned for not knowing the meaning of a vision or figure if God has not given a revelation or interpretation of the subject, end quote. That's comforting. It is. But remember that if he has, then it's our obligation to seek out that interpretation and do our best to understand it. Yes. The Come Follow Me manual encourages us to, quote, ponder how you can follow the prophet Joseph's example when you study the scriptures. You might ask, Heavenly Father, what am I to understand? End quote. I love that. You know, I want to share a quick example of this, and it's a testimony to the truthfulness of the Lord's ability to reveal things to us. 
So when I was on my mission, I was studying in Genesis and reading about the Tower of Babel, and I just couldn't understand why it was such a big deal. Why was the Lord punishing these people? Who cares? They built this tower. And I remembered seminary teachers telling me, hey, if you seek answers from the Lord, if you don't understand the scripture, you can pray. And I studied out as much as I could think to study. And so I prayed and I received an answer. The answer was that it was not about the building of the tower. It was the wickedness of the people and so forth. And it really helped me to come to terms with it. Well, here's the interesting thing. Later, months later, I was reading in the Book of Mormon in the Book of Helaman, and that very answer I'd gotten from the Lord was right there in Helaman, where the Lord explains about the wickedness of the people at the tower. And I just thought, okay, so I didn't get anything new, but the Lord helped me come to terms with some information that he had already revealed that I would eventually come to know and understand. And the Lord can help us, and it doesn't have to be a new revelation from heaven. It it certainly won't be something that will be binding on the church, but he can open our minds to help us be receptive to the questions we have. We don't have to be the prophet in order to reach out to the Lord to have him help us and be patient because the Lord may often use the resources he's already given us to help answer our questions if we're willing to keep pursuing that, keep moving forward with our questions and turning to him for answers. Now, the Institute Manual has a great quote from then-Elder Dallin H. Oaks. It's in an Enzyme article in the January 1995 Enzyme. He says, What makes us different from most other Christians in the way we read and use the Bible? and other scriptures, is our belief in continuing revelation. For us, the scriptures are not the ultimate source of knowledge, but what precedes the ultimate source. The ultimate knowledge comes by revelation. The word of the Lord in the scriptures is like a lamp to guide our feet, and revelation is like a mighty force that increases the lamp's illumination many-fold. We encourage everyone to make careful study of the scriptures and of the prophetic teachings concerning them, and to prayerfully seek personal revelation to know their meaning for themselves. That's so great. That is really the most important distinguisher in the restored Church of Jesus Christ and something that we are obligated to seek out. Now, the rest of the revelation, verses 8 through 15, allow Joseph Smith to learn about some of the events that will take place before the Savior's second coming. And while we won't read those in this lesson, we encourage you to read those and study those. From the seminary manual, we get this insight. Joseph Smith declared that the book of Revelation was one of the plainest books God ever caused to be written. When he made this statement, he was speaking at a general conference of the church He directed some of his comments to Elder Pelatiah Brown, who had been accused of preaching false doctrine about the book of Revelation. He cautioned Elder Brown and other missionaries not to teach about the specific symbols and details in the book, and to instead preach the basic principles of the gospel. The prophet's counsel is also relevant to us as we study and teach from the scriptures. It is not very essential for the elders to have knowledge in relation to the meaning of beasts and heads and horns and other figures made use of in the Revelations by John the Revelator. Declare the first principles and let the mysteries alone, lest ye be overthrown. Never meddle with the visions of beasts and subjects you do not understand. Elder Brown, 
When you go to Palmyra, say nothing about the four beasts, but preach those things the Lord has told you to preach about, repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. End quote. That quote comes from the history of the church. It's a great one. Now let's move on to section 78. I've got a quote here from the seminary manual that's a good collective quote for section 78, 79, and 80. It says, on March 1st, 1832, the Lord revealed to Joseph Smith the revelation now recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 78. In this revelation, the Lord directed the prophet to organize a firm, later known as the United Firm, to manage the storehouses and publishing efforts of the church. The Lord also described the blessings the saints would receive if they obeyed the commandments to organize this firm. In an effort to protect this church-operated entity from enemies of the church, some of the language in this revelation was changed when it was first published in the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants. For example, the United Firm was referred to as the Order or United Order. Around the same time that the Lord commanded Joseph Smith to organize the United Firm, the Lord gave the revelations recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 79 and 80. In these revelations, the Lord called Jared Carter, Stephen Burnett, and Eden Smith to serve as missionaries. So let's start with the first one, section 78. And let's take a look at the history of the storehouse. In May 1831, the Lord had commanded that a storehouse be established to gather excess goods and money for the benefit of the poor. Two storehouses were subsequently established, one run by Sidney Gilbert in Independence, Missouri, and one operated by Newell K. Whitney in Kirtland, Ohio. In this responsibility, Brother Gilbert and Brother Whitney acted as agents for the church. These storehouses were to supply the saints with necessary goods, while also generating funds to buy land and to finance the publication of the revelations Joseph Smith had received. These storehouses were also to help those who were in need. And from the Institute Manual, we get this clarification. In the 2013 edition of the Scriptures, the section heading to Doctrine and Covenants 78 says that sometime after the United Firm's dissolution under the direction of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the phrase, the affairs of the storehouse for the poor, replaced mercantile and publishing establishments in the Revelation, and the word order replaced the word firm. The terms firm and united firm were later changed to order and united order in the Doctrine and Covenants. The term united order as used in the Doctrine and Covenants refers to the united firm and should not be confused with the various systems of communal or cooperative sharing established years later when the saints settled in the western United States. The united firm was a business partnership based on the law of consecration between the Prophet Joseph Smith and a limited number of other church leaders in Kirtland, Ohio, and Independence, Missouri. From April 1832 until April 1834, when the Lord commanded Joseph Smith to dissolve the partnership, the United Firm played a vital role in church administration. It serves as one example of how the law of consecration was implemented in the church's business affairs. So let's take a look for what the firm, or order, in verse 4, would allow the saints to do. Starting at verse 3, For verily I say unto you, the time has come, and is now at hand. And behold, and lo, it must needs be that there be an organization of my people. 
in regulating and establishing the affairs of the storehouse for the poor of my people, both in this place and in the land of Zion, for a permanent and everlasting establishment and order unto my church, to advance the cause which ye have espoused to the salvation of man and to the glory of your Father who is in heaven. So why did the Lord command his saints to help the poor of his people, as it mentions in verse 3? Well, let's take a look at verse 5. That you may be equal in the bonds of heavenly things, yea, and earthly things also, for the obtaining of heavenly things. For if ye are not equal in earthly things, ye cannot be equal in obtaining heavenly things. That's such an interesting description to have of what it means to be unified and to be equal. In a previous revelation, the Lord defined equality in terms of a family's circumstances, needs, and wants. This was back in Doctrine and Covenants 51, specifically in verse 3. Therefore, the commandment to be equal in earthly things does not imply that everyone will have exactly the same amount of resources, but rather that every family will have sufficient for their needs and wants according to their individual circumstances. So, what heavenly things do you think the Lord wants us to be equal in? That might be a great question to discuss with you and your family or friends. What heavenly things do you think the Lord wants us to be equal in? Now, going on, why else did the Lord want his saints to take care of the poor? Let's take a look in verse 7. For if you will that I give unto you a place in the celestial world, you must prepare yourselves by doing the things which I have commanded you and required of you. This reminded us of a quote from then-elder Dallin H. Oaks in October 2000 General Conference where he says, quote, It is not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. End quote. So important. From the seminary manual, it offers this summary. Joseph Smith, Newell K. Whitney, Sidney Rigdon, Peter Whitmer Jr., and Jesse Gauze obeyed this commandment and traveled to Missouri in April 1832. Shortly after their arrival, the three held a council wherein they organized the united firm in accordance with the direction in this revelation. The firm consisted of Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Newell K. Whitney, Edward Partridge, Sidney Gilbert, Oliver Cowdery, John Whitmer, William W. Phelps, and Martin Harris. Quite the team. So going on in verses 10 through 16, the Lord emphasized that members of the firm should bind themselves together through a covenant to manage the church's enterprises. By being faithful to this covenant, they would have the assistance of the Lord in accomplishing his commandments. The Lord also explained that if the saints followed his instructions, the church would be able to stand independent from all other earthly entities. So let's take a look at the remaining verses of the Revelation, starting in verse 17. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye are little children. Well, now that's a heck of a thing to say. <laughs> Think of all the saints have sacrificed and accomplished so far. How then are they like little children. Well, compared to our Father in heaven, the greatest of us are still little children. That's a good point. 
I think that's a great way to remind us of who we are in relation to our Father in heaven. Very true. Back to verse 17. And ye have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath in his own hands and prepared for you. And ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. And he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him even an hundredfold, yea, more. What a beautiful blessing. The Institute Manual has a wonderful quote from then-President Dieter F. Uchtdorf from the April 2014 General Conference. He says, Could I suggest that we see gratitude as a disposition, a way of life that stands independent of our current situation? In other words, I'm suggesting that instead of being thankful for things, we focus on being thankful in our circumstances whatever they may be. This type of gratitude transcends whatever is happening around us. It surpasses disappointment, discouragement, and despair. It blooms just as beautifully in the icy landscape of winter as it does in the pleasant warmth of summer. So true. And I know we've brought this up a lot, especially this year, but I'd like to remind our listeners that we're recording in 2021, so this is still part of the COVID-19 pandemic. Think about this last year. Are there things that we can be grateful for? Even in the midst of what may very well be a tragic situation, there are still things to rejoice in, still things to be grateful for. And I think that's what President Uchtdorf is talking about. Yeah, we need to live in that space. So let's take a look at the last few verses. And what should we do as a result of understanding the promises described in that last verse? Verse 20, Wherefore do the things which I have commanded you, saith your Redeemer, even the son Amon, who prepareth all things before he taketh you. For ye are the church of the firstborn, and he will take you up in a cloud and appoint every man his portion, And he that is a faithful and wise steward shall inherit all things. Amen. Amazing blessing. Absolutely. Now, from the Institute Manual, I have a brief quote about that phrase, son Amen. It says, The original revelation in March 1832 did not include the information regarding Adam on Diamond and Michael. These inspired editions were made in the summer of 1835 as the Doctrine and Covenants was being prepared for publication. The changes to the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 78 included the addition of the phrase, who hath established the foundations of Adam on Diamon in verse 15, all of verse 16, and the title, Son Amon, in verse 20. Now that title is expanded upon in Doctrine and Covenants 95.17, but we'll talk more about Amon and Adam on Diamon when we cover Doctrine and Covenants 116. Excellent. So, As we look at the final two sections, 79 and 80, these are both missionary calls. So let's look for principles that apply to missionary work. Now, these are very short, but what can we see in here that can apply to us as we think about missionary work? As I was looking at section 79, I was seeing things like in verse 1, that there is power in ordination to preach. 
that the gospel message is one of glad tidings of great joy. Is that how we present the gospel when we interact with others? And then in verse 2, God will give us the comforter to help us to know what to say and where we should go in verse 2. I don't know if you've ever prayed that you would be directed to someone. I would propose to you that if that had been your prayer, to be directed to someone that you could help, my experience being on the other side of that is that you may have no idea that you have already fulfilled that desire. The Lord often does that very subtly. In verse 3, if we are faithful, we can be an instrument of God in bringing many to him. And in verse 4, in the Lord's work, we should not fear. He is in charge of that work. Now, we didn't mention this at the beginning, but this revelation is a mission call for Jared Carter. From Stephen C. Harper's commentary at Book of Mormon Central, he says, quote, One of the most remarkable facts about Joseph Smith as a revelator is that many intelligent, faithful people went to great lengths to seek, receive, and obey his revelations. Jared Carter embraced Joseph's revelations and went on a mission because of them. After he returned, he went to the home where Joseph was living to ask the seer to inquire the will of the Lord concerning my ministry the ensuing season. And the word of the Lord came forth. Jared noted that April 25, 1832 marked the commencement of a mission by Jared Carter, a servant of the Lord. He followed Section 79 specifically, going from town to town in the power of his ordination, which was to the high privilege of administering in the name of Jesus Christ. Jared went northeast along Lake Erie and continued on to Benson, Vermont, his birthplace, proclaiming the everlasting gospel in each location. He battled opposition and bouts of depression. He kept careful track of his obedience to the revelation and the fulfillment of the promised blessings. His records testify that, as promised, the Lord sent him, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, to teach him the truth and where he should go. Since Jared was faithful to section 79, the Lord crowned him again with a bountiful harvest. Jared summarized his service after returning in October, I have been gone six months and two days. The Lord has permitted me to administer the gospel to 79 souls, and many others by my instrumentality have been convinced of this most glorious work. He rejoiced on the completion of his difficult yet successful mission. God has blessed me according to the prophecy of Brother Joseph before I went from Ohio, Jared wrote. End quote. That's beautiful. Yeah, one of the things that really impresses me about him is that he went to his birthplace. Sometimes we're more willing to share the gospel with those who we don't know. But for him to go to place where he would have family and know people, that's really beautiful. And what an inspiring example, not only to regularly reflect on the commandments in this revelation and make sure that he's doing what the Lord asked him to do, but to testify of the blessings that the Lord promised him, yeah. that he received. That's amazing. And what an example to all of us in relation to our patriarchal blessings. That's something that we should be doing regularly. Well, something else I'd propose is if you've prayed and received an answer of what the Lord wants you to do, but it's something that's really hard, look at the fact that he battled opposition and bouts of depression. 
Just because he's having a hard time doesn't mean that he shouldn't keep pushing forward. We need to continue to turn to the Lord to help us do hard things, whether it's a calling or whether it's something in our family or life that the Lord has told us he needs us to do. And as hard as it may be, let's make a record of those struggles. Yes. Let's make a record of those times where it's hard and we're struggling and we're depressed and we have doubts. Well, and what a beautiful thing that he kept track of his obedience. Am I being obedient? Let's keep track of that. And then where do we see the fulfillment of promised blessings? So good. Great example. So let's go on to section 80. In here, we have a mission call, this time to Stephen Burnett, and it includes some information for Eden Smith. Now, as I look at these five verses and wonder what about the promises that were made to them for their missionary work could apply to me, in verse 1, I have a great reminder and testimony that the gospel message is for everyone, even people we may not think would be interested. And in verse 3, it doesn't matter where you preach. There's no wrong answer to that question. Everybody can be blessed by the gospel message wherever they are. You know, that reminded me of a general conference talk that was also referenced in the Come, Follow Me manual. This is from Elder David A. Bednar in April 2017, a talk called Called to the Work. And for any of you who may be seeking a missionary assignment here soon or maybe have gotten a call recently, this might be a good one to reread the whole talk. But he says in this segment, quote, Perhaps one of the lessons the Savior is teaching us in this revelation is that an assignment to labor in a specific place is essential and important, but secondary to a call to the work, end quote. I'm really glad you brought that one up because that's been a real comfort to someone that I know and care about very much who has struggled to understand a mission call in the light of illness and challenges. Many of you may know of missionaries that got reassigned, especially this last year due to the pandemic, that you were called to maybe one location, but then relocated as the situation called for. Remember that the important thing was that you were called to the work. You were not called to a location. You were called to the work. So going on in these verses, verse 4, we don't have to know everything. But the assignment there in verse 4 was declare what you know. That's what we can do, declare what we know. And in verse 5, our calling to share the gospel comes from no less than Jesus Christ himself. How then, if we understand that, can we fail? (laughs) Indeed. Going back again to Book of Mormon Central, Stephen C. Harper's commentary, he says, quote, Stephen Barnett started fast. He converted at age 16 and was ordained a teacher, then an elder, and then a high priest, Before he turned 18, he was filled with the Holy Ghost and a desire to take the gospel to his relatives. He led his parents into the church and was called to preach in January 1832 and again in March by Section 80. Stephen and Eden Smith started their mission on July 15th and spent a few days together declaring the gospel in villages south of Kirtland, Ohio. Stephen also went east with success. He was the first one that sounded the glad tidings of the everlasting gospel in Dalton, New Hampshire. By 1838, Stephen felt completely disillusioned. He tried but failed to regain the spirit. Finally, he proclaimed all revelation lies and left the church. He said the foundation of his faith failed 
and the entire structure fell in a heap of ruins. Joseph thought there was more to it. He thought that Stephen's unwillingness to consecrate his life to the kingdom of God contributed to his unconversion, end quote. It's a really important reminder where our foundation needs to be. Right. And let's think back to that earlier quote we pulled from Elder Oaks, the notion of the ultimate source of knowledge. What is that ultimate source? Is it a person? Is it a book of scripture? It's the Holy Spirit. It's our Father in heaven himself. Yes, revelation is that connection. And we build our foundation through that revelation on Jesus Christ. Well, so interesting. We had a really fun lesson today. I hope you really appreciated going through these sections and getting a little better understanding of what they're meant to teach us. Well, and how interesting is it how important revelation is? We see this again and again, the Lord, as people turn to him. Notice that the Lord isn't imposing these revelations on people. People are approaching the Lord with questions and the Lord is answering And that's an important example for us as we go forward in studying our scriptures. As the Come Follow Me manual suggests, perhaps we should be asking the Lord when we read these scriptures, what am I to understand? Yep. And we'll talk more about that in our next lesson. Look forward to seeing you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we're really big fans.